everybody, and welcome to episode two of the Big Footy Bombercast for season 2022. Whether you're listening to us on your couch or driving in a car to Mirabara, we thank you for tuning in. And as always, please remember to like, review, and subscribe to us on whatever media you are using to listen. Of course, I am joined by my co-host, as always, The Grizz. How are you this evening, The Grizz? I'm good. Uh, slightly disappointed by the result last night, but uh, it's great to have some football back in our lives, I think. It is certainly great to have some football, especially back on the TV, although I did watch the uh, the game against the Dogs on KO. But our, our third guest, well, our first guest, sorry, for the year is none other than Kip Tastic. How are you, mate? Thanks for having me. I'm glad um, that you uh, were willing to have me back uh, again for season 22. I'm really looking forward to it. It's going to be a very interesting season and really excited about how the Bombers are going to go this year. We'll dive right into to what we've seen so far, boys. And we have we've seen two games so far, and I think the the two thing the, the main thing that stood out for me across the two games so far has just been our forward line. I think our forward line at the moment is starting. It's it, it's it's a work in progress. It's it's something we knew we were going to struggle with. I mean, we haven't didn't have Kyle Hooker, who's obviously retired. Tip and Woody is is still indefinite, and Stringer has obviously been injured. So we've been probably missing our three main avenues of attack in the first two games. So. It was always going to be a work in progress and always look a little bit different. Peter Wright looks all right. Uh, Kane Baldwin's come on. I'd still probably have France in front of me. But yeah, overall, I think our forward line this year is going to be something that we uh, definitely need need to work on as we go along. It's definitely going to be makeshift, uh, especially until Tipper comes back. It's likely that we'll have to run someone like a Guelph or a Perkins will have to play a lot more forward to try and get that creative flair or in, in Guelph's case, the, the pressure. I did like seeing Wright uh, kick those three goals and take those big marks. It was a bit concerning that he hadn't been doing that in the first practice match against the Dogs and even the intra-club game that they televised. So to see him perform there was quite good and good signs for the future. I think the forward line is going to be a watch this space all year. I think uh, particularly our smalls, um, I think the tools, provided everyone's fit, I think everyone probably expects Peter Wright, Harry Jones and, and Francis when he's fit, although I think it's the knee he got from the Bulldogs game is still touch and go. They might, might just try and rest him for round one and they might just try to go small and swap Stringer for, for Baldwin and just go a bit smaller down at Cadinia Park or uh, they might keep him in for the three tools. But the smalls is really where I'm, I'm probably concerned about you know, outside of Perk, who, you know, showed a lot. We'll probably get to him a little bit later in terms of the guys that stood out. But outside of Perkins, there's really not a lot of X factor. You know, Snelling's great workman style. Um, Mac Welfy, good for pressure. Made some real physical attempts at uh, laying tackles and at the ball. But, you know, Dev Smith has lost a step. And, you know, he might be the fittest he's been for a while, but he just lacks that, that pace and that explosiveness that he had when he first came to the club. And so I think it's just going to be a watch this space all year until Waller gets back and, you know, while Stringer plays up in the midfield. We just, we, we sort of need his size and power through the midfield. But when he leaves the forward 50, we just look sort of aimless. And look, it's worth noting that the the entries going inside 50 were horrendous for the most part of the night. We really didn't deal with St Kilda's frontal pressure at all. But yeah, I, I think small forwards is our biggest problem this year. The pleasing thing was that we created so many opportunities and you would think that as they go through the season, they're going to get better at, at hitting those targets closer to, to goal or in areas that are more dangerous. So the fact that we're still creating those opportunities and particularly after the first quarter really 
dominated general play and just couldn't put it on the scoreboard suggests that it's only a few small tweaks before we still are able to put that score on the board that will that will win games. It's interesting, Grizz, that you actually just mentioned noting that the ball had been delivery had been terrible because I did note last week that we'd been much slower with our ball movement, especially when we don't get the ball into Nick Hine, we do lose that running gun. And that was evident against the Saints, I thought. I thought the Saints shut Nick Hine down really well. He had a couple of moments there where he got out in the break and, and you know, we looked fantastic, ball in hand, it looked lightning quick, like the, the slingshot estimate of old, I suppose you'd, you'd call it. But by and large, they shut him down. And, and so our ball movement had to be a lot slower, had to be a lot more methodical. And, yeah, it was quite poor at times, which, I mean, you can obviously put some of that down to... Uh, Pre-season nerves, pre-season sloppiness? Yeah, I think first game of the year. Uh, sorry, second sort of serious game of the year after the Bulldogs game. You know, skills were always going to be sloppy. Uh, Brad Hill said after the game for the St Kilda that um, it was pretty pretty hot and humid, so maybe there was some, some slippage. But the ball movement was really slow. I think St Kilda's pressure was really good, sort of coming front on. Um, I can't help but feel that the slower, deliberate style play is... Um, a truck thing. We were terrible at defending transition last year. We were the worst in the league in conceding an inside 50 after it got rebounded out of our forward 50. So I can't help but feel that's sort of a deliberate thing to be able to set up behind the play. But you're right, when it's not Nick Hind or, or Pidge running through the middle of the ground, taking the game on, we look really slow and we just got stuck bombing it long to contests all night. You have to sort of reflect on the fact that our run and gun slingshot style came about a lot because we had Adam Saad and Connor McKenna. And we both of those gone. And Hind, he did so well last year, but he's also now more of a known quantity that the teams are going to start sitting on him. But maybe it's a it's a force change, especially we have, you know, Heppel's gone behind the ball as well. So that's that's taken away some pace. You did bring up McGrath and it looks like he's going to be playing more from the back half. So he could provide some more of that that dash and run. But it might just be that the personnel's changed to the point that they have to make uh, changes as well with the way they move the ball. Do you think a part of the reason why we also maybe look that little bit slow is because we seem to be pushing Redmond a lot further up the ground. He seems to be playing, like I know last year he did get up the ground and kick at those goals every now and then, but I thought he played very much half-back last year and, and now it seems to me like they've decided he's going to be a wingman, which it's, it's a little bit like uh, robbing Peter to pay Paul, isn't it? Because you sort of lose some of that movement from the, the half-back line, you're moving up to the wing, but, but did we really need it? on the wing as such, because he's just, to me, not getting behind the ball as much as he did when he played down back. And, and I think there's better options for, for the wing than, than Mason Redmond. I did notice he was further up the field. I wasn't sure in the first quarter whether that was because we had a few defenders that were sort of running their own race and not sort of playing as close to their man as they could be. And um, I noticed that Laverde came on the field um, like a, someone had lit his pants on fire. And so I think um, a couple of the defenders... Uh, may have been told to stick their man a bit. But I think his boys is so good, you want him kicking inside 50. But I think our methodical style of play is because we want to set up behind the football. And that means getting guys sort of ahead of the football, up around the wing, half forward area to lock it in. But you're right, when Redmond's not there, it's really hind only. And, and he sort of struggled, I think, hind without the guys like Redmond and Pitchin giving him some chop out to come off half back. I think they also like Redmond, as he said, delivering inside 50, but also providing that option for that that long kick for goal. He, he did it, uh, he did it on Saturday night, and he did it quite well uh, a few times last season. And I think with again the acquisition of Jake Kelly is going to release Ridley, and Ridley's got excellent foot skills. So maybe trying to rely more on on that foot skill 
um, way of moving up the ground rather than the foot speed. Yeah, Ridley is the interesting one here f- for me as well because I'm still not sure that we know exactly what Jordan Ridley's best role is as, as a football side and probably as a supporter base. We want the ball in Jordan Ridley's hands, absolutely, because he's probably... It's, it's controversial, but I'd say he's nearly our best kick at the club. Uh, Zach Merritt's a great kick, but I, I just... You put the ball in Ridley's hands and he, it's almost... No, it's a big reach here, but it's almost James Heard like in that if we're under pressure in the back line, give it to Ridley because he'll do something good. He'll make something happen. So the question now, I think, is is do we want Ridley to play that loose third defender similar to what an Alex Rance used to do? Or do we want him to be a lockdown tight defender who occasionally gets the ball and really has to work to find the ball the other way? Because he is brilliant one-on-one as well. So, yeah, for mine at the moment, I, I think mentioning Jordan really he's he's stuck between two worlds and we've for mine we've got to find out which world we're going to get him into before round one rolls around it's hard to see him always playing that loose role especially with Heppel back there playing more of that that general sort of filling the filling the hole like a like a Luke Hodge type but we we saw with Ridley that he's I think he's equally as good as a one-on-one defender as he is with the ball in hand but we just have you know, competent one-on-one defenders, but we don't have that as good a release kick as him. So I think leaning more towards that, you know, distributor role as opposed to a lockdown role is probably where they'll well where they'll end up. Yeah, I see Ridley in the so this Tom Stewart, James Sisley mould of defender, where they can defend one-on-one and they're very good at defending one-on-one. But what Geelong's defence does really well for say is Tom Stewart is they set up in a way which allows Jordan Ridley uh, allows sorry Tom Stewart to peel off and intercept Mark and I think that's where we want to get to a place with Ridley where guys like Laverty and Stewart are doing the man-to-man roles and Ridley's able to roll off. I did notice against St Kilda in the Bulldogs, he was playing a lot of last line defence, which maybe is, he's the best reader of the play at the club, so that maybe allows him to push off his opponent when he knows he can get involved. But I don't think it's sort of controversial at all to say he's the better kick in the team. I think Zach Merritt's probably the best decision-maker in the team, but in terms of pure foot skills and the ability to hit any kick in the book, I think Jordan Ridley's well and truly the best of the club. That's a good description of Zach Merritt. Best decision maker is a great way of putting it because he certainly does appear to have a lot of time and space whenever he gets the ball, no matter where he is. But there's another bloke who well, he hasn't debuted for us yet. Oh, I was going to say it was his debut, but he did play against the Bulldogs. So that was his second preseason game who appeared to have a ton of space. And that's Nick Martin. I mean, he had so much time and space. He just had composure oozing out of him on Saturday night. And I'm very excited to see how he goes. I think somebody on our board was comparing him, saying, you know, he could be our Michael Barlow, which is a massive call because Michael Barlow, I don't know if you blokes remember, but he, he was pretty much on track to win a Brownlow before he uh, hurt himself in his first year. Super coach legend. Yeah, Michael exactly. Yeah, yeah. So, so I mean, I look at someone like Nick Martin, and I'm very excited by him. And I mean, I've only seen him play the, the three times, but I'm super excited to see what he can do this year. I a little little bit of a downer. I just he's obviously playing very well, and you, you wonder how he's he's ever being missed in the drafts to this point. What 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 are the knocks on him that that led to him not being drafted? I guess the only thing area of caution I'd have is that he's come on. In the second half of games, so he's come on fresh, where um, you know he's got fresh legs against more tired bodies, and he's able to to use that to his advantage. I mean, you know, other players are doing are coming on at the same time and and not showing the same level of of performance. So maybe that's just a bit of me putting some dampener on the on the fire. But he does seem to be rushing towards a round one debut the way he's going. 
Don't yeah. be a Debbie Downer. He's going to win the Brownlow. <laughs> I do remember when the news was he was coming to train for us. EDPS, who is a resident draft board expert for Essendon and all things alike, said he's basically Kyle Langford when Kyle Langford was 19 years old. And you can see it. They're, they're almost identical in height, similar skill set. He finds space so well, which is something that a Kyle Langford did sort of early in his career, particularly in junior level. I, I sort of agree with Kip in the sense that he's been coming on halfway through games and been running against guys who have been running out for a first half and a bit, but you can't teach guys how to find space like he does. And, and the thing that I really liked was, yeah, he sort of missed a couple of handballs, missed a couple of kicks, but he always looked poised. He didn't really ever look like it, it was all too much for him. I, whereas I think, you know, even Braden Ham at different points on on Saturday night looked like he just couldn't go with the pace of the game and he was worrying and he was uh, sort of panic kicking at times. So that's a really good trait. I think he'll be a guy that plays a lot of VFL football before he plays AFL, but who knows, with our smaller forward depth at the moment, he might get a gig earlier than we'd think. If Martin does come on, and does that does that mean the immediate future of Nick Cox is in, in trouble? Because it seems that the best spot for Martin at the moment is the wing. You'd probably have Langford on the other wing, and given Cox seems to be struggling to adjust to his body in terms of just knowing what he needs to do, does that mean Cox goes back to the VFL in place of Martin, who, who's the rising performer, so he can learn a bit more about what, what his new body is going to take in terms of the performance that is required. Now, those who don't uh, aren't watching the podcast, obviously you guys are listening to the recording. We have a system here where you can put your hand up. And as soon as you mentioned Nick Cox, I got my hand up so fast you would not believe. I know, Grizz, you want to raise this later, but I'm just, I'm just going to go on a bit of a rant now. The guy is in his second year and somebody on our board has already suggested he's regret he's peaked and he's regressed. Are we fucking serious? Like, I, and we don't swear often on this podcast, but... Fuck me. The guy's in his second year. He's put on 12 kilos since he come to the since he's come to the club. He's playing in a role that it's probably not really his. The, the wing I, I and um triple five, as he's known on the board, has, has raised the point before that Cox is not going to be a wingman moving forward. But it's a position that gets him around the ball, gets him touches. How the hell can you say he's regressed and gone backwards in his second year? What is wrong with people sometimes? You probably touched on everything I was going to say. I probably wasn't going to put it as um, sternly as you did. But I think the normal it's only pre-season moniker really applies here in the sense of there are a lot of guys who struggled on Saturday night. Um, I looked at the disposal count and the time on ground count. There were plenty of guys who got the 40 less than Nick Cox did who played a lot more game time than Nick Cox did. So I think, yeah, I think what um, you said, Bonts, in terms of this is purely about development. We need to sort of disregard statistics for the first I, I think first couple of years of his career, while he bo- his body gets to a point where he can compete consistently, I've said it basically since we drafted him. I think he's you know the evolutionary centre half forward in the set in that he, he's 200 centimetres. He can run like the wing, elite foot skills, you know, power, agility, all that sort of stuff. That's where I think he could be his most dangerous. But we play him on the wing to start with because it gets him in the side and he probably can't play as a key forward at the moment. Yeah, look, I might have been going a little bit harsh on people there, but it just it infuriates me when a bloke 
in his second year in the first official practice game of the year, so to speak, and people are going, oh, he's regressed. The thing is, if he kicked those two goals on Saturday night and had 13 touches or 14 touches or whatever it was and kicked two goals, we'd be saying it was a good game. So, so that's that's how that's how close he is at the moment. He's he's on that that wafer thin margin where he's good and he's bad aren't actually that far apart. Now, I'm not saying he won't play VFL, and in fact, I actually expect he probably will start in the VFL this year because, as you said, Grizz, we don't have a spot for him up forward, and, and I think that is going to be his his spot moving forward. It's just yeah, just. Just baffled me. And, and, and I have no doubt that when I tagged you into that thread and you read that comment, you would have been smiling to yourself because I, I raised that exact point last week on this podcast that our fans can be very fickle at times and get way too far ahead of themselves and make rash calls after one practice game. Yeah, one year of finals. Let's just let's keep the expectations realistic, guys. This is still a development phase for the club. We're going to play a lot of kids who are going to have a lot of good weeks and then a lot of really bad weeks and some weeks in the VFL in between. We just need to ride this out. We're not competing for a premiership this year. There's a good chance we don't even make the finals this year when you look at our draw in comparison to guys like Freeman or Carton who have a much easier draw. So we all just need to lower our expectations here and just look for the development of guys and the development of the team as opposed to the statistical output and the wins and losses. We will move on, Grizz, because we do. you do have a, a new segment for us coming up very shortly. But I, there is just one more point I want to raise, and that is... Kane Baldwin at the moment. Now, I thought he was very good on Saturday night. For a bloke that's playing probably his, his second real competitive hit out in about two years. I mean, he played about half a game last year in the VFL or a game and a half in the VFL. But by that stage, it was pretty clear the VFL had done its dash and there weren't going to be finals and all that sort of stuff. So I was super impressed with him on Saturday night. I don't think he's good enough to get round one. I, I, I would still take Francis because I thought Francis actually worked himself into the game against the Bulldogs really well. So if I was Essendon, I'd probably pick Francis. But it does. It, there is talk and rumours coming out that Baldwin has been locked in. So he's going to be a, a real success story for us this year if, if he turns up and kicks you know, a, a goal a game for whenever he gets his opportunity. Absolutely. And I think you know there, there are still things he's working on with his body. Uh, you can t- sort of tell that he's he's um, really holding back his kicks at the moment. He's, he's not wanting to extend that too far. But the working up the ground, so he took he's taking marks at the defensive 50 and, and using that to launch attacks. And then, you know, that, that turn of speed to get that um, holding the ball in the, in the forward 50 um, was really impressive. Those, those three steps really quick. And if he can use that on the lead, you know, that's going to make him a very dangerous forward as well as, as, well as he'll build into his contested marking. Yeah, I think the Baldwin versus Francis question is really the only question we have in terms of selection going into round one. I think guys like Shield Stringer and Jake Kelly will probably come straight into the team. Guys like Cutler, Ham, and and maybe another third unlucky one will go out. It's really just a question of, okay, does Truck want to go smallish with Stringer, Wright, and Jones, or whether he wants that third tool? I think Baldwin's he's a long-game prospect. You've got to remember... You know, two knee recos. He'll still be trying to get confidence through his body. There's only so many laps of an oval and pre-season sessions you can do. You've got to get out there. And he, he had a really nice rundown tackle of, um, I think it was Bo Wilkes out there. And I think his blocking off the ball for Peter Wright on a couple of occasions was fantastic. If he gets a run, great. Um, if Francis comes in, fine. But I think, you know, that Baldwin-Francis question is probably the only major selection drive we have going into round one. And it'll be interesting to see how it goes. I actually feel we, as you sort of say, we have a pretty settled 22. I think if you sort of think about it, and given that we seem to be pretty injury-free, 
other than obviously tippers coming coming from a fair way back and probably won't play for the first you know five or six rounds at the very least and and then also the wild card of hurley um and there's just more about you know where where do people start how much time do they spend on ball um how much time do they spend rotating in the in the back line such as mcgrath or the forward line like a shield or a parish or a caldwell um but we've got a pretty good depth depth charged depth chart going into the season at this point okay well if that's i think that's everything we wanted to touch on so what we're going to do guys is we're going to play sort of a little game a speed round of topics it's called that's real or it's only pre-season um i'm going to give you a topic and i want you to give me your hottest take both in terms of time and uh, what you genuinely believe on that statement so that's real means you think it's something that's going to carry over into the, the regular season and it's only preseason is it's a fluky thing, uh, like a guy kicking eight goals in the Reds is never being seen again. Okay, so topic one is Archie Perkins is this year's biggest X factor. Yeah, no, I'd agree with that. I, I think that's that's real. He has shown a lot uh, in the in the first couple of games. Again, it's only preseason, but he's shown a lot and I th- and he's had a, a number of new misses I think he probably could have kicked another two or three goals compared to what he kicked on on Saturday night and with with tipper out we do need that sort of smallish exciting forward which which I think he will be able to fill that role not to the same level as tipper with the chase down tackles but I think as a goal sneak as a goal threat I think Archie Perkins can definitely be our X factor player moving into this this season yeah agreed on that that's a that's a real one there just the way that he moves through traffic you know, it's it's going to create different problems for for defenders. And if he can fix up his kicking in terms of shooting for goal, which he didn't have the um, greatest accuracy last year, then he's going to be quite a danger. Yeah, I, I think that's real as well. I think Selling Looms is the, sort of the workhorse. Guelph is a defensive pressure, but with Waller out, we're really going to need sort of Archie to step up and, and provide some, some sizzle and some goal-kicking ability from our mediums when Stringer's up in the midfield. Okay. Topic two, real or it's only preseason, our transition defense has not improved from last year. Just for the, a bit of background, last year we were the worst team in the competition in transition defense. We allowed teams to convert a rebound 50 into an inside 50 25% of the time, dead last in the competition. Real or it's only preseason, our transition defense hasn't improved from last year. I would like to say that it's only preseason simply because you haven't got all the, all the players in their in their proper positions uh, for in through the practice games, it's it's you know trying different things. As much as you'd like to you know win every, win every game, you're also working on other things. I I would wouldn't make that call until we actually saw what was happening in the season proper. So for the moment, I'd say it's only preseason. You'd imagine they'd been working on it pretty thoroughly uh, through through the off season. Yeah, I'll say it's only preseason simply because it, you know. To say it hasn't improved, I mean, surely it can only go up from where it was last year. It can't get any worse than what it was. So, so it has to have it has to have improved at least somewhat compared to last year. Um, so, so I think the wording of the question, Grizz, means it's definitely only preseason. But, but I will just say a few times on Saturday night, I saw Zach Merritt, I saw Jai Caldwell, I saw Darcy Parrish. You know, our midfielders deep, deep, deep in defense. They really pushed hard to run back. So, so yes, teams will open us up at times and, and early St. Kilda probably opened us up more than what we wanted. But I think as the game moved on and our midfielders probably remembered the game plan rather than just playing as their instincts, which you tend to do in the first quarter or so of, um, of a preseason game, I, I think we improved. So, yeah, I, I think that's only preseason. I, yeah, I think it's only preseason, but it's only preseason-ish. I think we've got we've got we've got three games to start the year against pretty good opposition. Um, we've got 
three teams that finished in the top four by the end of the home around home and away season last year. So if we haven't improved, it will show. And if we have improved, it will show pretty quickly. You can't sit on the fence. You oh, cannot no, sit on it, the it, 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 it's, it's pre-season-ish, <laughs> but we will find <laughs> out by round four of this year. Uh, I, um, think, I think Breeze has got a few splinters at the moment. Uh, I definitely do. Okay. <laughs> Goal kicking looms as a serious problem this year. We kicked 9-17 <laughs> against the Saints last night. We don't have the uh, liberty of being able to kick like that this year. That's pre-season last year. So we lost, we've lost Hooker, but when we went on our, our good run in the second half of the year, his performance had dipped and then he was he was dropped. Obviously, Tipper Tipper is a big loss, and he's quite an accurate kick. But I think just in general play last year, we were pretty good um, at goal scoring and pretty good at, sh- at sharing the load. So I think that's just as as it was said on on the telecast, it was quite a humid night. Um, so the ball was quite slippery. Obviously, um, we're not going to be playing in such heat. Hopefully, across the season, so it shouldn't that shouldn't be as much of an issue. So. Hopefully, better weather conditions will mean that the the goal kicking is improved as well. I think it's only a preseason. I, I'm not too concerned about our goal kicking. I, I don't think it's much worse than than any other side in the AFL. Yeah, we had a bad one on Saturday night, but you know, bad nights happen. You got to remember too. Once we put Stringer back in, because Stringer is a pretty straight kick, and then obviously I think Tip is probably our best shot for goal that we've got from a set shot. You know, once you sort of get those two blokes back in, that nine seventeen is probably more. I don't know. I'm trying to do the maths in my head at the moment. Um, 13, 13, you know, 14, 12 type stuff. So so I'm not too concerned about that at all. I'm not too concerned considering how well we kicked towards the end of last year. But um, like I said, we probably don't have the liberty to kick like we did last night against St Kilda. But you will have those nights every now and again. Okay, so we, we have uh, two more. The first is, real it's only pre-season, the stricter 50-metre penalty rules i.e. regarding time wasting and all that sort of stuff, are a game changer for 2022. I think it's only going to be pre-season, purely because I think the players will adapt. Uh, we saw Melbourne in the in the very first game, they're pretty undisciplined. And, you know, a few times they sort of did that whole, oh, which which player, which player, which player do I... You know, that's crap. That, that is the delay of the game. And if, if that relates to the 50 <laughs> now, it'll stop the players from doing it straight up. So, so I, th- I think... Excessive 50s are only going to be the preseason. I think players will, will switch on pretty quickly. And I, I'm just going to extend a little bit, Grizz, and just just say just say something which I'll get you guys to comment on as well. The thing about the um, abuse of the umpires, I understand that there's a lot of frustration because it's probably gone a little bit too far in that some of the the, the leaner or the the less the less aggressive abuse is now going to be stung by 50. But at the end of the day. What excuse do they have to abuse the umpire or to question the decision or to throw the head back? You know, other sports, watch, watch rugby union. If, if they treated their referee the way we treat our umpires, they'd be getting red cards left and right. I mean, I've played union and you can't talk to the bloke without calling him sir. So oh, this whole, oh, it's a, it's a passionate sport. These guys, you can't ask them to control their emotions. We're not asking them to control your emotions. We're just asking you not to be a dickhead when a decision's paid against you. I'm not big on the defending players when they mouth off on umpires just on the basis of, I know people go, oh, not everything whittles down to the junior level, but that absolutely does. If you see, you know, Scott Pendlebury, you see Nat Fife, you see Dustin Martin, you see, like, insert superstar here mouthing off an umpire, what's the 10-year-old going to think? 
But I'm I'm with you, Bob. So the players know exactly what they're doing. They're far too smart to not know what they're doing. And there was one yesterday with GWS in Collingwood where Darcy Moore, you know, um, clearly looked at the umpire. The umpire said, pass it back. Moore put his head down, took four or five steps and turned to pass the ball and then looked shocked when he paid a 50. Players know exactly what they're doing. I, I'm slightly concerned that this is going to be a bit like the stand rule last year where they were hot on it early but then sort of mid parts of the year, they sort of died off and it wasn't really a rule anymore. And then towards the back end of the year, they kicked it back in. But if they, I'm with, but I agree in the sense, if they're strict consistently on it, it won't be in there for very long. Players will adapt. I, I agree. Your, your interpretation there of, you know, it's, they're going to be hot on it for the first couple of weeks and then it'll go away is, is what I agree with, but they need, they need to do something because, we just we just said last year had the Toby Green stuff and you know some people have tried to defend that but it's just an escalation of, of behaviours and if you I don't know how many how many people have um, paid ten, close attention to tennis post the Australian Open but if you look what um, Zverev um, did I think at the Mexican Open you know oh, that's that's crazy that's the sort of thing that happened that's the sort of thing that you get to if you don't crack down on on the minor behaviours so. I think it's a good call from from the AFL. I think as it's, it will filter down to, to the lower ranks in terms of zero acceptability for that sort of action. And the players, you know, if it's as soon as it costs, you know, a team a game for the action from an individual, one of their individual players, uh, the teams will stop it pretty quickly. And we saw with Dev Smith last year where Dev Smith was continually mouthing off at the umpires. And it got to a point where it was almost a detriment to the team and a detriment to de- detriment to Devon because he wasn't getting free kicks even if they were there. And that's just what happens, right? When, when you're a, a jerk to the umpires, they're not going to care if you get upset. They're not going to you know, give you the benefit of the doubt anymore. And just on the umpiring and the time wasting thing, I'm going to zag slightly here. I love it. I, nothing frustrates me more than when you see players, you know, standing over the footy and stopping guys from getting it to get it for a free kick. Like Mrs. Grizz would have heard me complaining about it a thousand times. We want to speed the game up. As an Essendon supporter, we play better when the game's sped up. I think it's a great rule. I'm looking forward to it. Last one, we sort of touched on another one we we're going to do um, regarding Cox and Jones. So I'm going to throw a curly one in here for you guys in that, Peter Wright looms as our most important forward this year. And, and I'm not expecting him to lead the team in goal kicking, but I think structurally he gives us something we're not quite sure. But I'm interested in you guys. It's real or only preseason. Peter Wright looms as our most valuable forward this year. If he brings his, his form from the second half of last year as a forward, and obviously towards the start of last year, he had to play a lot of time in the ruck. You know, he's going to be a 40 goal a year forward and they're becoming as rare as hen's teeth. And with the ability to also, you know, uh, relieve Draper in the ruck and potentially that allowing Draper to go forward as well, I, I tend to agree that that's, that's a key part of our forward line. You know, you need that key focal point to provide that structure that the other players can roll off. I think he will be our most important forward this year. I agree. That's that's not just a preseason thing. That is something that will happen. However, and I'm just going to throw this in, and, and, and Grizz, feel free to tell me I'm an idiot afterwards, but his position is going to come under intense scrutiny over the next couple of years. It won't be this year. He'll definitely be important this year. But we've got Baldwin, Jones, We've got Francis, who I think, I think Francis up for will be a star this year. But we'll see that. Then you've also got Nick Bryan in there. They all can't play in the side. And, and and if Jones, Baldwin, Francis and Nick come on like we think, Peter Wright's going to be the man on the outer. 
which is crazy to talk about now because he's going to be our most important forward this year. But there is a real chance that come, maybe not this time next year, but a couple of seasons' time, he's going to be the man on the outer. Yeah, I think his ability to chop out ruck probably puts him in a different uh, sort of category in terms of position to Baldwin and Francis and Jones. In that they're not really relieved ruckmen, but I think you're spot on in that. Nick Bryan and Peter Wright will be competing for that spot. One thing I'm going to say about Peter Wright is that he needs to start clunking everything he gets his hands to. He has a cup. He's a bit Charlie Dixon-esque in how he gets his hands to mark, so he just inexplicably drops. And if he holds those, he goes from being a 35-goal-year forward to being a 45-50-goal-year forward. But I think I'm with you. If, he's only a, if he maxes out as a 30-goal-year forward, I think Nick Bryan's come for his spot really quickly. The other thing to think about with that is over the next couple of years, you've got Ben King and then Harry Mackay coming off contract. If Peter Wright's performing very well and, and you know, he's getting up to that 45, 50 goal a year, it may actually change the club's perspective and whether they need to actually go for one of those players as the focal point. That, that's a good point. I, I'm still not convinced that we'll actually chase a Ben King or Harry McCoy because I do think our yeah, forward line stocks at the moment look relatively promising. But that will do us for the for this evening, fellas. Thank you both for, for joining. Grizz, it's been a pleasure as always. Thanks for having me on. I look forward to it. And yeah, thanks thanks for coming on for your first first episode this year, Kip. No worries. Thanks for having me. So as I did mention at the top, guys, if you are enjoying listening to the podcast, please like, rate and subscribe, whether it be on Spotify, possibly on YouTube or, or even on the iTunes. If you do enjoy, we do like to get as much content, as much followers as we can because it does boost our rating and, and just helps us helps us out in the back end. But but thank you all and we'll see you next week where we'll do a little bit of a little bit of a different show. We're going to do a bit of a uh, pre-season for what do we think is going to happen in the season 2022. <laughs>